0: Yeah, More we're, we're, we're still an adult show. Fuck Hello man. and welcome, heroes, to the Cred Academy. I am your host, Justin.
1: I'm a good host, Ian. And I'm your co host, Brandon. Again. Again. Again.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> we hope to inspire you
0: with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. We want to thank you guys for joining us here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter.
2: Yep, that's right. Your roles like a campaign your players just don't enjoy. <laughs>
1: That's, That's
0: not fun for anybody. That sounds really sad. <laughs> it does. Yep. Um, you may notice Austin's not here. For those of you that joined us last week, our show got cut off due to a power outage. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame because it was Austin's last day. Um, he, he's moving on to bigger and better opportunities, going back to school, and hopefully expanding his um, uh, career opportunities. So I want to say thank you to Austin for... Being on the show for well over a year, Uh, it's been a blast. He will still be part of our Plane Shifters campaign in our home game, so you can catch him there and make sure to torment him uh, in the chat. Uh, (laughs) As you can tell, Brandon is back. I just want to take a second and say thank you for coming back to talk D&D with us. You're welcome. I'm happy to be back. We've missed you. I've missed you too. There's just something about Brandon that I love. I don't know what it is. It's got to be the mustache. (laughs) It's got to be. So, with that, thanks again for coming back. How about we get into it today? Our main topic today is how to design and write a Dungeons & Dragons campaign your players will love.
2: No. (laughs) Are you
0: done? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it can be. Um, unfortunately, not everyone can do it. Um, I would like to take a second to say that this episode is sponsored by our product, Memorable Monsters. If you love Dungeons and & Dragons and you love monster books, then you need to check out Memorable Monsters. You can find it at CritAcademy.com or on uh, RPG. We believe monsters are more than stat blocks, and... When we designed Memorable Monsters, we gave them fleshed out backstories, different uses for them, whether it's a merchant, an ally, an NPC for uh, like a a servant or uh, a quest giver. So many options, uh, as well as ideals, bonds, and flaws. Monsters are just awesome and should have just as much information and backstory as the player characters. So consider checking that out if you're looking for an awesome, good, big, bad, or interesting NPC for your stories and campaigns. Now... All right, you guys. How do you write a D and D campaign?
1: With a pencil and uh, paper. With a DMG and a D twenty.
0: Yes, that's certainly a start. <laughs> um, we know that everyone wants to be uh, that wants to be a, a dungeon master, but writing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign can really be intimidating. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yes. Um, it is a lot of work. Um, as a longtime players uh, and game designers, uh, we want to share with you our tips for ensuring your adventure is fun, not just for you, not just for the players, but for everyone. So the hope is that by the end of this, you will be writing adventures that your players will be talking about for years. And if you already are one of those players and DMs that runs a campaign that's like this, please, in the comments, share with us your tips, your tricks, things you've learned over the years that we might've missed, or maybe we ran out of time and didn't include. (laughs) with that brandon
1: what is step one step one is developing a campaign premise as in what do you want this campaign to be about what do you want what do you want to flow around it could be about a past war it could be about this this asteroid that has some sort of radiation that crashes into the world and it's creating some sort of effect with the creatures around the world it could be whatever you want to be right that's some good stuff there yeah
0: no, it's really good. Um, the campaign premise is basically a summary of what it is you want to happen, right? Yep. Uh, we've broken this down to a few bullet points that we think will really uh, help. This, uh, Ian, do you want to get us started off with the first one? First and foremost, what does where does the campaign take place? What's the world like? This is a big. This is a big starting point, don't you think? Yeah. You
2: need a setting. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it, there's a completely different experience between starting in Faerun versus starting in Eberron versus starting in Ravnica or, or the current modern era. You know, all those settings, they're settings, they're locations, and they determine how the world functions around the the characters. So that's really the first thing you need to design. Yeah. Now, we're not saying that it has to be super huge. And we'll talk about that later. You can start small, just saying it's taking place in this setting and start off somewhere off grid, you know? Uh, The next thing you want to touch on is what problem is present that must be solved? What is your call to action? Brandon, do you have any examples of something like that?
1: Yes, there's a campaign I was doing for some players a little bit ago. It was completely off the top of my head. And the primary issue was that uh, demons were starting to take over the world. That, that's cool that was that was the big that's the, that's the, big the problem. problem
0: there's demons trying to take over the world that's a problem, yes. that's a problem. that and needs to be
1: solved and somebody needs to be doing it and it was being taken over by this uh super badass necromancer
0: <laughs> not that, just a necromancer yeah, they, but they, a badass necromancer they, they
1: couldn't figure out who was doing it at first then they eventually like oh that's that's the actual bad guy right there he's the guy causing all this of course my campaign has been it's gotten ideas from video games and movies all over
0: right right that's have you guys seen the meme where it says it shows like a picture or little writings of uh favorite novel favorite movie favorite you know cartoon and then it's a guy pointing out my homebrew campaign and it's all like going into this funnel um yeah um so the problem needs to be present what is the call to action um who or what is behind the problem in your example demons right yeah. What is another good example, uh, Ian, of somebody that might be behind the problem? Why? It could be an evil
2: wizard trying to manipulate things in his favor.
0: Yeah. It's simple as that. You don't need necessarily to have a super complex process in the beginning, do you? What? Demons are taking over the world? Why? I can save you! <laughs> sure. And then
2: we got the part where I don't want to open the demon problem in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> you're,
0: the, you're the cause of the problem there. Um, so. When we, we talk about who or what is behind, this is the big enemy, big bad enemy. Maybe it's a single person, maybe it's a a group, uh, sinister organization, cultists, what have you. Um, Brandon, what's the uh, the the next one?
1: The uh, who or what is behind the problem? We just talked about which that. is the one we just talked about. Yeah, <laughs> the antagonist, uh, right? What is at stake if the characters don't take action?
0: This this is huge. This is something that I feel like some DMs don't plot out in their their designing of their campaign. What if the characters just don't care and don't get involved in it?
1: What is going to happen? Apparently, if you're playing Final Fantasy VII, nothing. Right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That meteor is just going to stay up there forever, right? (laughs) Um, This is interesting because when you set out a hook to follow a chain of events, one of my favorites was a volcano erupting that I ran once. The player characters didn't care. And that's okay. They didn't take that hook. So when they end up coming back through there, and all the during their travels, they heard about the eruption and how it devastated the land. And when they come back, what once was an area full of beautiful homes in, in cities is now a barren wasteland with nothing completely destroyed. So it is altered, and their inaction altered and changed the world around them. And you need to plan on that sort of thing if the player characters aren't interested in whatever scheme you've got going on. Because they're not going to always be. Ian?
2: Uh, I just l- l- lost some thought right now. Uh, in the fact, that like the, the my current, I think it's Tuesday now, game <laughs> <that> I'm, r- <laughs> I'm running. i I'm ran Prin- Princess of the Apocalypse, but it's not the best organized
0: book. No, it's very sandboxy.
2: Well, not even that, like, there was, like, one example before. So I'm like, okay, we're currently ranked so the temples, that's this entire chapter, alright, let me, re- they're in, in the last temple, so let, let me read ahead to the next section, very, very opening paragraph, When you defeat ye amount of temples, here's what should be happening as this goes along, I'm like, this will be good to know at the last chapter!
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you nearly <laughs> broke our, uh, audacity. <laughs> that doesn't take much some days. Oh, uh, <laughs> right, um, so, uh, this basically means cons- consequences of failure. yes. Uh, the next thing you want to play is what is, what is the deadline? What do we mean by that? Brandon? Countdown die. <laughs> that's one way to do <laughs> it. That's what I think of. Uh, well, well, the good example you just mentioned would be the final fantasy thing, right? Yep. If no, you well, guys don't no know. Deadline. Well, that's just because that's a game, right? That's not what <laughs> we're talking about. In D and D we're talking about yep. a deadline of an event to occur. In your example, the meteor is going to hit in a week. If they don't do anything to stop it in a week, something's going to happen. So, whether you keep track of that via a calendar or a countdown die or, or number of sessions, you know, however you do it, having a deadline to that event, because it can't be something that just keeps getting pushed off like in Final Fantasy VII, where it, it literally, you can literally farm forever you your level uh, 99 maxed out and everything, and the meteor still has not come. Yep. <laughs> so, um, is basically is how long before the problem is out of control. Yep. Well, um, although on the Final Fantasy Thirteen off
2: actually does have a countdown timer for Doomsday.
0: Does
1: it really? <laughs> yes.
2: I don't remember. That was a pretty straightforward game in two lanes. Anyway. I said one of the. I said one of the spin
1: offs. Uh, okay. that uh, zombie game that takes place in the mall too. Oh uh, yeah, uh, I can't remember what it was called. Dead Rising. Dead Rising. Is that what it was? Yeah. You're supposed to get your daughter like this vaccine, otherwise she'll die. And you spend the entire game just like playing with toys in the mall. That's
0: really on point. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the last thing for this tip is the problem the players must solve must be something that they can impact. We've we've decided that there's going to be a problem to be solved. What impact can the players have? Obviously, the players at an early level aren't deities. So what is it they can do? Um, if you start at level one, maybe by the end of it, they've helped... Uh, gather people or gather resources or or find an object that somebody of more power needs. In my mind, if you do something like the meteor idea, it's coming, it's crashing, and you're at a level three campaign, having the player characters actively involved and say, okay, you can't literally stop it, you don't have the power. But this wizard can, if he has these components, help him find them. Yeah. So now they're directly tied to an event that's bigger than themselves without having to be directly tied to physically catching the damn thing falling from the sky, right?
2: I punched a meteor <laughs> as a barbarian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, what is the next uh, uh, tip there, uh, Ian? Start small. Yes.
2: <clears throat> we often want to rush in and completely flesh out the world, because it sounds like a fun thing to do, when it's really a lot of extra work, and in many cases, not exactly what you would call... Necessary? Well, you could plan out every single detail. It takes time, which you don't always have. And you can use that time to uh, invest in the characters and what they are actually doing. And that's player characters for the record for the most part. right? And the reason is that the players and the characters are only interested in what's happening to them yes. at this moment.
0: <laughs> Definitely.
2: And, I mean, sure, there's lots of small t- details that like, you might want to throw in. in like, yeah, Let's say like, the 500 years of war that's been going on between the nations... This information is probably left vague and fleshed out as the characters tend to interact more with the PCs, NPCs and monsters in their area. Yep. Like, if you start small in scope, like with a single village or maybe even a region, then you just, like, expand it out slowly and fill in the gaps as you go along.
0: Yeah. Not only does this let you put more effort into upcoming session, but it's a lot less work on the Dungeon Master, period. Like. Yep. Um, especially since the players aren't probably going to follow any set path that you design anyway. So why bother? Um, I know there's a bit of, uh, back and forth when it comes to this sort of thing, because some DMs believe you have to design everything. I don't think that's necessary, um, because you can just do it as you go. And because of that, you can give the, a little bit more of the power of creation and the world building to the players, because they're going to tell you what they want. They're going to say, oh, I'm interested in that pillar of smoke in the distance. I'm not interested in that pillar of smoke in the distance. And so if you just say some in, you know, tribe is over here burning down, getting burned down, that's all you need. And if they follow it, great. You flesh it out after that, right? Or
1: they even give you help on what you need next. Like, oh, I sure hope there isn't a basilisk in this basement. Like there is now.
0: (laughs) There wasn't. (laughs) Um, And this is something I think is important because we tend to want to try to deal with all of the, the conflicts and everything that's going on one thing i i used to write out really detailed uh, political um, uh, intrigue sign okay this this <laughs> co- this country's at war with this country this person's in charge this one stole this person's you know spouse or whatever instead it's the fire nation hates everybody the the earth Na- the 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 earth nation is kind of just secluded the, the hair nation has been decimated. You know, you don't, one sentence, two sentences, all you really need. So start small and then flesh it out as needed as the players show interest in it, right?
1: Brandon, would you like to tell us about rule th- uh, number three? Uh, rule number three is the rule of three. And what was that? That was having uh, three hooks for your players. You should have at least three hooks when you start off. That way uh, they don't feel like they're being railroaded in, in, a, uh, in certain ways a good way to put it. So yeah. um, by
0: building three hooks that the characters can use at really any given time, um, it gives them a sense of freedom that they might not otherwise have if you've got what's t- coined as railroady, right? Where, all right, there's a pillar of smoke. All right, I don't really care about that. Well, there's a pillar of smoke. I told you I don't really care. There's a pillar of smoke. <laughs> Go that way, you know? People don't like being forced. But by following the rule of three, three options right from the beginning Seems to be a perfect balance to keep the players intrigued and invested without really overwhelming them and, you know, leaving them in analysis paralysis, right? Has that yeah. ever happened where you had so many
1: options you really didn't know which one to take? Yeah. Like, uh, okay. the oh. campaign I was running, it wasn't Rule of 3. There was a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I wanted to do was drop a job board at their inn because they didn't know what they are going to do next. They didn't know where the big bad or where to go next was. It's like, oh, there's a job board over here if you guys want want to take a look. And there was a few that I threw down, like, oh, this, this person had uh, uh, some belongings stolen. Could you retrieve them? Mm-hmm. Or there's this, there's this, there's this. Uh, there was one that pertained to um, one of the characters' backstories that was supposed to catch their attention. And there was another one for another character's backstory. Right. And they didn't realize that until they finished, like, two of them. Oh, no. They just they
0: they either they wasn't obvious or upfront or they had forgot they would written it because I've done that. Um, a good example in one of the the actual play I'm in the uh, uh, initiative and intrigue. Um, because it was so out of what I normally use, she introduced me to a, a character in one of my books, and I didn't notice it at first. And then as I was playing with this character, I said, "Man, why is this so familiar? Why is it so?" Duh! It's in my Memorable Monsters book! <laughs> like, it's one of my favorite characters! And I was super excited by that. Um, so, But sometimes it is easy to, to miss those things. So, um, if you are going to put hooks in front of people, and uh, make sure they're clearly tied to... If they're tied to backstory, make sure it's clear. Tell them, oh, you know this from your, you know, the fact you are a soldier or something. So
2: Well... I know I used this example before, but I've seen times where a GM basically had, like, a fortune teller show up and gave a foretelling of doom to one of the players, and the player went, yeah, whatever, and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> or or there was one t- or in that same campaign, the, he had a, a merchant show up who wanted to invest in their settlement, but it involved basically taking our players, the player characters, away from that settlement for over a month, six weeks. Oh, wow. But and we were like the, like the sole defense to the village, <laughs> and so all the players were like, why would we leave? why would we leave this village undefended for yeah. this long amount of time? <laughs> you're the,
0: yeah, you're the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the defenders, man. Um, I like that. Like, like okay, I get um, the idea
2: of, okay, players take the the DM gives you, but at the same time, the hooks you give the players have to make Didn't sense. sense. <laughs> yes.
0: That is something that does fall apart sometimes. Honestly, I'm guilty of that still, because I don't think about some stuff, or I forget. I forget a lot. Even if it's written okay. down, I can't read my chicken scratch.
2: <laughs> or there's like one time, too, where <laughs> in a superhero RPG, probably of my character's backstory was, he's from the future. Future, post-apocalyptic was triggered by a guy who could give powers to other people and this was part all of my backstory one? i gave to the gm for all one no
0: no oh, okay sorry no.
2: and and like a few sessions later we come across somebody who gives super to other people as their ability i'm like i'm gonna kill that guy
0: and everybody's like what why i'm like did you not read my backstory this is what i'm here to do (laughs) why are you surprised by this (laughs) all right um our fourth tip is players have world world building power too we have talked about this on the show we have had this as uh, dm and player tips i'm telling you what let your players co-create the campaign setting in the world with you yep leveraging their actions and choices as a way to flesh out the parts of the world that interest them. Many Dungeon Masters spend so much time and effort building parts of the world that the players don't give a shit about. Like, you do. we, I do. We understand that, right? We love things we create. You ever created something you didn't love?
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: It happens, but... Okay. Uh, Not what I was going for, but, you know, spending two hours designing and fleshing out a blacksmith and his forge doesn't really do you any good if the characters don't give a shit about the blacksmith and his story. Because the characters are the focal point of the story, they decide what is important, so let them. In this case, maybe we didn't decide to, to focus on the blacksmith and they decide to take an interest in him. Well, now we say, okay what do you What do you want to know? Or if they ask him a question about his family, that's the stuff you then start to work on because then you're feeding into what they want, not what you think people want. Which, there is a balance there, don't get me wrong, um, between completely ill-prepared and just on the fly, though some people can do it on the fly really, really well. Brandon, it's not that hard. I don't <laughs> know, man. I've seen him with like four words on a note card. <laughs> so anyways, uh, one of the Pitfalls DMs, Tend to make is that if the characters don't take interest in something, and they don't care that don't care about what the DM cares about, they tend to push the characters in a direction against their will. And honestly, this can lead to players angry, upset, and um, stressed. And we don't want to do both sides, not not just the DM but also the player, right? So when a player character takes interest in something toss in the proverbial ball into their court. For example, if the character wants to uh, ask around town about the location of an alchemist shop, ask them to describe the NPC they approach. You don't have to have that designed in advance, right? Not only just the physical traits, such as race or outfit and hair color, but what was the NPC doing when you approached? What did you see them doing? It's okay to give this to them because not only does it put the ball in their court, but they'll remember that NPC in far greater detail because they made it Yep. <laughs> it gets them invested in the story so uh consider you know consider this as uh, uh the the world building power of the the players they can help take so much weight off your shoulders as a dungeon master and honestly they'll remember that stuff a lot better because they're involved so
2: i i can just picture it now Players walking talking to a magic shop it's like okay what's the shop like what do you see how, what safety measures does the shopkeeper have in place from a just, just walking in and taking their stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
0: Uh, oh, yeah, and by the way, there is a a, uh, a jar there with a nice golden uh, necklace. I'm going to swipe. Um, Sleight of hand check? That's <laughs> fake gold, too, by the way. Uh, Brandon, what is the next tip we're going to discuss? Uh, prepared
1: encounters. Yes. Yes, it's having encounters uh, prepared specifically for what's going on around the players. Like, if uh, they know that they've heard rumors of, what was it, right? That rust monsters Uh are attacking in a local area, and you decide to make an encounter, there better be rust monsters in that encounter. (laughs) Right?
0: (laughs) I know this sounds like a small thing, Uh but just having uh, something prepared... You don't want to pop up have to start going through your book and, and scrounging for all the stuff you need to run the encounter. If you've set out a hook that says there's Rust Monsters, make sure you have one prepared for the for the yeah. hook you made. Um, <laughs> some people don't do that. They'll throw out a hook but not have anything prepared. So you lose a half hour of game time while the DM goes, draws the map, gets the car- gets the monsters, sets up the board, all that stuff. If you've got all that stuff ready to go, it takes, you know, minutes as opposed to a ridiculous amount of time. And we've all been in that game where that happens. Yep. Um, and uh, this isn't just monsters, this is traps and, 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 and little
1: clues of lore and exploration opportunities. I like the points of mouth I just saw about Ian's uh, stealing stuff from a shop. Yeah. Uh, William Washburn, right there. Glyphs of warding that trigger when someone tries to run off of stolen goods. That's such a cool idea. I'm Justin Hamlin, and I approve this message. <laughs> you steal something, you try to run
0: out, all of a sudden you just turn to a block of ice and fall over. Right. Uh, Ian, would you like to tell us about defining the ending?
2: All right. Well, depending on the ending, like one thing that happens is that DMs don't necessarily set an endpoint or for well, you know, in the game. It ain't that. That means the story can go on indefinitely, which is not necessarily a bad thing because because right. stuff might just keep happening that you can work off of. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. Just uh, have something there at the finish line at the end of the day. And uh, sometimes having an arc means there's a symbol of accomplishment for the characters when they have a beginning, middle, and end to that particular adventure. Yep. And when you do so, keep in mind that you need to be flexible during the campaign. Deciding on the an ending is one thing, but having tracks the players can follow is another. And, obviously, people don't like it railroading too much, but... Well, some people are kind of vocal about it more than others. You yep. don't always think there's going to be some on some level, but... Yep. But there are some tables that do like it, and... and uh, Sometimes it's always just good to leave it open for how the players can get there, or don't be afraid to rearrange events or encounters that still allow the flow to continue. It, well, not wasting the material you prepped, most yes, more importantly. Yes, yes. Um, and the best way to think of this, as Blake was the story's villain, how could what could change their plans, if at all, based on what the characters do?
0: Yeah, having that stuff written out, um, and having exit strategies and stuff for the, the end of the story and the campaigns, and pretty important because there you need to have that sense of accomplishment in progress, right? If you're fighting, uh, you're chasing this person and it's an indefinite chase, that's not as fun as capturing him, interrogating him a little bit and then him getting away and the chase continues. There are ways to end uh, a story arc but still continue the story. Does that make sense? Yep. In my head it makes sense. I don't know if it came out that way. Um so if you listen to your players during their talking um and their chats, they may even give you some good ideas to pull from of kind of some directions they're going to go and that they would like to see. Um a, one, a popular one I have seen is man, wouldn't it be awesome if you know we found a secret door into the, the mansion? Okay, there is now a secret door into the mansion. They that may be three, four sessions from now, and they may forget all about it. But I'll tell you what, if they decide to ask about it. They're like, I knew it, and that's going to be uh, a sense of accomplishment there. <laughs> but in the end, that also means that that is a potential out for the boss. So if they end up fighting and the boss needs to retreat, there is now a secret path for them to get out of. And if the player didn't discover it, now they're like, damn it, I knew that. You know, <laughs> putting a putting a start, middle, and end. Even if you're going to run a big campaign in their small what sub arcs, maybe um, it definitely gives a sense of completion and um, moving forward. It also gives you a great opportunity and an endpoint. To try some other stuff after the fact. Hey, we finished this arc. Do you guys want to play a couple one-shots of other characters? You know, So there's a lot good to that. Brandon, do you have anything to add to that?
1: No. For game endings? Yeah. Not really, no. I mean, I got an ending for my campaign. I don't think I'm ever going to get to it, but it's just such an awesome thing. Yep. Yeah. All right. Would you like to tell us about uh, number
0: seven, request Request Next Steps?
1: Uh, At the end of each session, you can ensure your writing and preparations are in line with what the characters will do when they return to the table. How do we do this, you ask? How do we prepare the unpredictable? Easy, we ask the players. (laughs) Yeah, once again, let's revisit the rule
0: of three. By the end of the session, the players kind of have an idea what direction they're going to want to follow moving forward. So ask them, what is it And use that as a basis for your next rule of three hooks, as well as your prepared encounters. Now that they have told you what they want to do, you can easily develop options and story encounters based around the actions they've said they're going to do. Imagine how much easier it is, instead of guessing what the players are going to do, actually doing, just knowing. Like, I know it seems like a real mind F, but... It's, it really makes a huge difference. This means that building the encounters and events that they want, not only what you think they want. Thus, the story will be captivating and engaging for the players and characters. God, I love that. So, uh, number eight is lean into tropes. Dear God, you guys. There is a reason that many adventures start in a tavern, or dwarves are expected to get tanked whenever they visit a tavern. These are classic tropes that have been part of storytelling for generations. Now, The reason they've been around for so long is because they work. Players, readers, moviegoers alike love tropes. Can they be overdone? Sure, anything done too much is overdone. But it doesn't mean you can't have them in your stories and campaigns. Like uh,
1: how the brutish Goliath Barbarian is always looking for a challenge.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's a good one. Likewise, the wizards are expected to spend most of their time, what, locked away in towers studying ancient tomes and scrolls.
1: Right or see yep. druids out picking herbs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's okay to lean into these tropes. They are tropes for a reason. Yep, it's a fact that the players like when things meet their expectation. Period. So give them what they expect. Would you like to take number nine in?
2: You don't always have to lean into the tropes though. Just because yes, tropes exist and yes, they're enjoyable, and I can't deny the fact that I enjoy them sometimes myself. Mm-hmm. But throwing a little curveball in there can keep things fresh and interesting. Like, a wizard doesn't have to, like, uh, dub all the times in their studies, for example. Or a d- dwarf doesn't have to uh, constantly uh, drinking beer all the time. Although, I get to run a dwarf <laughs> that doesn't do that. But, hey. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And oh. people do, like, misdirection, plot twists, emotional rollercoasters, just for, for expectations. To be able to, to, to the stories. Just uh, try to do it sparingly, because you don't want to uh, get in the habit of fooling your players by bringing expectations. And... Yeah. And let's be real here. I don't think people like being tricked around too much. So yeah,
0: <laughs> I agree. Um, players love misdirection, plot twists, and emotional roller coaster of expectations in their stories and campaigns. Just do it sparingly, as he mentioned. If you you don't want to get in that constant habit of basically <laughs> trying to trick your players and breaking their expectations, that's just
1: that's too much. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> keep the game fun and fresh by not. Always meeting the players' expectations. Uh, just do it rarely. It makes the broken trope that much more interesting. And a fine example of this is I was following tropes throughout my campaign, and uh, the players met a barbarian, Goliath barbarian. And they expected uh-huh. the I want a challenge. I want to break some shit. Uh, instead, they end up. Uh, he invites them to his shop. Turns out he's a master seamstress. <laughs> He, sit, awesome. he sits there in a in a big old apron and he, he sews dresses and stuff.
0: I love that. That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> so last <laughs> now but I think, now I think about the meme
2: of a necromancer wearing like a cloak made of like human faces. And the catchment was like, I told you that seems skill would be useful. <laughs>
1: what the fuck?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jesus. Um and and last but certainly not least, steal shamelessly. Yep. I want to put this out here. Do not steal stuff to publish or anything like that. Nope. That's bad. Yep, don't do that. I'm a huge fan of Brandon <laughs> Sanderson, arguably one of the best fantasy authors of our time. Uh, as a writer, its it was not a surprise that I would attend one of his classes. If you can watch him online, I highly recommend it if you're looking at writing. Um, during which, he does indicate that you should steal shamelessly from other works of art that you love. It's worth noting, he clearly... Mentions, not to steal word for word, but instead to take the general idea or framework and apply it in a new way. A way that helps you leverage what you love about the story and share it through your own words. Oops, sorry. Uh, a great example of this is one of my favorite campaigns I ever ran was in 4th edition. Yeah, I know, everyone hates 4th edition, whatever. I don't. Um, the story was based on the Will Smith movie, Men in Black. Instead of aliens being on the planet secretly and an agency, secret agency, keeping them protected while at the same time, secretly, you know, capturing and, uh, and ending deadly threats. The characters became part of a secret sect of guardians and emissaries of the planet. Refugees from other planes of existence <laughs> were trying to leave terrible situations, but because they took like, they look like monstrous creatures, mundane commoners would never really accept them. Right. So, the sect was created to help provide housing, lifestyles, and comfortable uh, living situations on the material realm. All the while keeping it secret. Modify memory, anyone? This is the same story, just told in a different way. The story was great, leading to a variety of different playstyles styles, and hunting down and invading hostile creatures, collecting rare and power- powerful alien artifacts. Many amazing stories that have been told, very few which are unique. I'm looking at you, Disney. Yep. You know, all of Disney stories were not started by Disney, just so you know. Uh,
1: Most of them. I think I said there's, what, at most seven types of stories?
0: Yes. There's a a a core core five to ten story archetypes, and they all follow follow a certain kind of outline. Anyways, uh, so the way we present the story and the setting uh, that it takes place in makes it unique. Without needing to delve in the complexities of being a master (coughs) author like Brandon Sanderson.
2: But, point being, steal shamelessly, steal often. And, obviously, this can go beyond adventures, which can also include magical items, plot, and just reflavoring alone can make this go a really long that, way. That's, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, how many times have I, I picked the idea of, let's make some Berserker armor? Yes. Which, of course, is from Berserk. <laughs> yes.
0: I love Berserk armor. I love Berserk sword, too. Or, uh, Guts' of sword. Berserk, that's not his name. Uh, also... If you are interested in trying, uh, Brandon Sanderson's work, I highly recommend the Storylight Archives. Um, you can get a, uh, a audible bundle, uh, or, uh, not an audible, a three-piece book bundle at our blog at CritAcademy.com for this episode. Um, there's a link there. Um, that'll, uh, it, the, the series will just take you and knock you on your ass, I promise. Uh, you will never, you will never fall in love with a character quite like Kaladin Stormblessed. Uh, I promise you won't regret it. Now, Life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination, my friends. Um, with that, is there anything else you guys want to touch on before we move on to our honor tips and tricks? Uh, yeah. I definitely had to say, though, that, like, yes, it's definitely okay to borrow
2: elements from, like, a franchise story or, or whatever. but Change the names. Yeah, definitely change the names. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, yeah. like, like, uh... Avatar, yeah. the last
0: lancer. I'm yeah. looking at you.
2: <laughs> like, like there's, like, one there's, like, Starfinder campaign, for example, of... I was definitely enjoying, but he. But <laughs> I started to notice very quickly, like, wait a second. These guys are basically like the. Basically, the Tao, from the Tao faction. Because <laughs> okay. they did not change it, other like the proper nouns or the names. <laughs>
0: ah, so it was very clear where it came from.
2: Yeah. I even said it out loud, which I think was a huge mistake because it seemed like the campaign ended one or two sessions after that, so I don't you know. You broke that. it. <laughs>
0: (laughs) So I don't know if I broke it. He's like, shit, he's on to me. I'm done. But you get the idea. (laughs) I do. (laughs) All right. uh, With that, we will, uh, that'll do it for our main topic. Before we move on to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks, I'd like to take a moment to give you a message from our sponsor, us. (laughs) <laughs> uh we highly recommend checking out Whitaker's Well of Magic Items. It is available now in digital and soft cover. It's an easy one D one hundred tables to randomly generate magic items for fifth edition uh Dungeons and Dragons. Um you head over to Crit Academy and check it out. I love it. You can roll your dice and you can if you if you like loot games like Diablo or um um Diablo. Yeah. <laughs> Diablo. Path of Exile. Destiny. um, Destiny. Yeah, you can roll uh, on this and generate different using an affix and suffix system. So they come out with some dope-ass names as well. (laughs) It's currently five-star rated on Amazon. Anyways, uh, moving on to our Unearthed (laughs) Tips and Tricks. Hey, Crit Nation. Today's episode is sponsored by the Endgame Content Podcast. A show for gamers by gamers. Every week... These four idiots talk about their exploits in video games and Dungeons & Dragons. They discuss current events in the gaming world and their favorite topics all together, generally having a pretty good time. You don't need to know much about video games or role-playing games to enjoy them. They'll teach you everything that you want to know, plus you will be cracking up in laughter as you listen. When you're done with that, leap on over to their D&D actual play show, Dungeons & Doofuses. You can find endgame content and Dungeons and & Doofuses on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearth Tips & Tricks segment,
1: where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs.
0: All right, Brandon. Would you like to tell us about our character concept? The character
1: concept today is from the beverage tea. Uh, I believe he's a patron, right? He is. He is, he is on our Discord.
2: We, he uh, actually posts a lot, and we actually okay. thank him for that. We, we <laughs> love to thank with people.
1: <laughs> yeah, character concept. Uh, it's his, his name is Petroy, the petulant puppeteer. I love this. <laughs> uh, Petroy looks odd. His hair must have been cut by a blind barber with a bad attitude. <laughs> His tailor must be seeking revenge for some wrong to have outfitted poor Troy with mismatched patches of poorly cured leather and raggedy wool. His eyes are two different colors, and his nose is as crooked as a poorly drawn letter S. So his nose looks like Trogdor. His wry smile appears as a grimacing scowl, but all of these match his foul personality and even fouler attitude.
2: So it sounds like he uh, may have gotten people uh, to have... Going to get punched in the face once or twice.
1: Or a dozen. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny. I can see a reason why. Uh, Petroy is proud. He would like to be called Proud Patroy, but he isn't. <laughs> he would like to be called Puppeteer Patroy, but he isn't. <laughs> he thinks of himself as the epitome of puppeteering, of a puppeteering genius. He spends every waking moment making his crude puppets from socks, shoes, and felled <laughs> enemies' decapitated heads. Uh, what is that?
0: What is that uh What is that Jeff uh MDC that did, the, <laughs> the that wrestler who used to put a sock on <laughs> sock on his hand and like grab people by the mouth and never washed it. What, what is that? The man man I don't know. Uh,
1: Mankind? Mankind,
0: yes. Mr.
1: Socko. He thinks of dialogue and settings, but he is extremely poor at his craft. His puppets mouths don't move. Their limbs fall off mid-performance. <laughs> Uh, and his stories and dialogues are childish and unfunny. And he, <laughs> and if he even suspects that someone does not enjoy his performance, <laughs> out come the words of daggers and phrases of venom. Just a wrongly arched eyebrow will cause Petroy to flip the F <laughs> out. <laughs> to flip the F out. <laughs> and cast vicious mockery or Tasha's hideous laughter.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that.
1: Let's take a look at his history, huh? Yeah? But Troy has always been a goof. He found solace—he <laughs> found solace from bullies in his room as he reenacted his fantasies of getting revenge with his homemade puppets. <laughs> wow, that's pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> he, he spent hours and hours doing this without ever improving his technique. Ten thousand hours improving, uh, improving, improving, improving. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> improving his technique, yeah. Ten thousand hours on making crappy puppets <laughs> that fall apart. Another ten thousand hours devising the same revenge plays with the same shallow characters and the same schoolyard setting. but what's his motivation? Petroy seeks two things: an appreciative audience and fame and recognition as the world's greatest puppeteer. He wants nothing more than to be praised for his craft that he has dedicated his life to.
2: I don't think he's going to succeed. I don't think he's <laughs> going
1: to do well
0: there. <laughs> Jesus. This is a savage character, and I love it. Oh my gosh. I
2: am the best at what I do. Learn no, Shut up!
0: I think it's hilarious. Just like, he's t- talking out through his puppet, and it's just falling apart halfway through the conversation. Like, meeting with, like, a noble king. And it's just jumping in there with some... Uh, now I'm thinking Walter from uh, Jeff Dunham, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't give a damn. Did you get the... Did you get the whole idea behind the uh, vicious mockery and Tosh City's laughter? Mm-hmm. If you don't laugh, he's going to make you laugh.
0: Oh, shit. That's dope. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's why everyone, he
0: thinks he's successful, right? <laughs> he's forcing people to laugh. All right. I really like this, com- uh, this, uh, this character. Thank you so much, The Beverage Tea, for this very uh, interesting character. I will make sure to be tossing him into a in, uh, campaign at some point. Yep. So, uh, moving on to our monster variant... Yeah, we have the spell sword illusionist. I am getting really. Uh, I'm I'm having a lot of fun making uh, some of these characters. I'm going to be honest. Um,
1: so well, in order to build some, this, this is one of your monsters. They're
0: all my monsters. I build them all. No, oh,
1: I thought we got some of them from like. No, and I such. build
0: all of them now. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about the spell sword illusionist. So you're going to start with the Githyanki knight githyanki githyanki i don't give a damn Uh, lost features you're gonna lose the silver greatsword and the spell list all right so we're gonna give it some new features the war magic feature so when the spell sword uses its action to cast a cantrip or first level spell it can make an attack with its greatsword as a bonus action that's pretty simple right we're gonna give it the school of illusion. So whenever the spell score, uh, spell sword casts minor illusion, it can create both a sound and an image with a single cast of the spell. Nice. Then we're gonna give it malleable illusions. When the spell sword casts an illusion spell that has a duration of one minute or longer, it can use its action to change the nature of the illusion, keeping the spell's normal parameters for the illusion, provided that it can see the illusion. Basically, it can alter and change them on the fly.
1: Yep. <clears throat> So it it can turn, it can make someone see a muskrat and that muskrat just suddenly turns into demonic looking. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Okay. uh, The new spell list is going to be at
0: will. We're going to give him to Sky Self. He's never going to be the same person twice, which is just fun. Minor illusion, illusion, illusory script, which is really fun. Uh, And then three a day each, he can cast Arcanus Magic uh, Aura, which basically lets them change the perceived nature of a magic's power. So somebody that casts Divine Sense, for instance, might think it's evil, but it might not be. And great for redirecting uh, very lawful, crazy paladins. (laughs) Uh, Mirror Image, of course, making clones of himself. Silent Image, Phantom Steed for getting away quickly. And of course... Uh, one a day each, seeming and fear. Now, we're not done. We're no. gonna, we got rid of his greatsword, or his silver sword. But we're gonna give him something better. The dreaded illusory greatsword that has a plus nine, uh, to hit on a melee, five foot reach. Target takes 2d6, plus six slashing damage, and, uh, 3d6 psychic damage. That's right, all you barbarian assholes. <laughs> uh, this weapon is a magic, uh, attack. If the target is a creature, on a critical hit, the illusory greatsword taps into the nightmares of the creature and creates an illusory manifestation of its deepest fears, visible only to the creature. The target must make a wisdom saving throw. On a failed save, the target becomes frightened for up to one minute. The target can make a wisdom saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on a success. Woo! That's a long-winded one. What do you guys think?
1: This guy's a beast. He's a beast! So the dreaded illusionary greatsword there. Yes. When it taps in and it, uh, it gets into their the nightmares of yep. what, what they are and it shows their fears,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, do they become afraid of the illusion or the spell sword? The spell sword. Okay. Uh, I would say that that
0: is uh, super clear not, but I'm pretty sure that I ripped that right from the fear spell. So, and that's how it's worded, I think. I'd have to double check unless it was copied wrong, but... Um, yeah, so that's part of this is this is meant to be an illusionist who is terrifying. His blade strikes quite literally fear into those it touches, of course, only on a crit because, you know, making him have it regularly would just be bad. Um, if you don't know, I think Seeming is the one, the spell that lets you change the appearance of multiple, uh, creatures at once, um, which is great for getting into the, the they did it uh challenge hiring a group of adventure or uh a group of thugs and then transforming them with seeming into a group of adventurers that looks exactly like our player characters just sounds perfect because who doesn't love that who doesn't like being uh an imposter
1: yes so uh do you guys have anything else on this get your tasks done yeah I mean... Um, the uh, is script, I've never heard that spell, so I just looked that up. And I'm trying to f- determine how that would...
0: It's writing, right? It's, it's fake writing.
1: Yeah, how it come in handy for him. Misdirection.
0: Leaving around clues of who did it, or who he says did it. Uh, like, in my mind, I'm imagining like leaving a calling card uh, and blaming somebody. Like, I am... Like, Do you ever have a character that's got a nickname, for instance? Uh... Thorg, the Thorg was here. <laughs> <laughs> it basically allows you to leave magic writing places. Really great for signing your name or pulling off a Zoro type thing. At least that's what I've always envisioned. So. Um, but it's definitely really cool. The Phantom Seed was a nice toss in for, you know, escape. Oh, yeah.
2: Cool. Our encounter is the debt to be paid. Oh, it's a good one. And that gets this short, a noble tiefling recently hired William Ashton, a spellsword illusionist. Well, I don't know where that came from! <laughs> as, a, as a guard. Anakis needs somebody strong and reliable and in case anything went sideways during an underground deal with the Shadowfangs Thieving Guild. oh, well, that's your first problem right there. <laughs> during the negotiations, she was blackmailed by the Shadowfangs. Imagine that. Their demand would leave her bankrupt. And she demanded that William attack and destroy the manipulating scum. But he refused. He said that his contract... Only obligation to protect her from physical harm. Additional support would cost extra. Overhearing this, the shuffling smirk and it says she gathered the money or her secret will be plastered all over the town and region. Ooh. After the meeting, Anakis is furious with William and refuses to pay him. She believes he broke his contract by not aiding her. Of course, this isn't true and he says that she pay. According to An Anakis, after refusing not to pay William, he left her a warning. Pay me, or I'll take it out of your livelihood. He threatened to snatch one of her children and sell them to slavery to pay the debt. Anakas has hired the characters to protect her young children from the thug who is due to arrive and snatch the child soon. Anakas doesn't know of William's master's skills with illusions, and he will use his skills to the fullest to gather his compensation. Oh, shit! Anakas, however, is lying, because at no point did William ever threaten her children just to get his compensation for the job. Thus, he intends to rob her. But the characters are told otherwise.
1: That's, that's oh. great. They uh, created an encounter that uses the spell support.
2: Yep. What do you guys think about this encounter? Lies combined with illusionary abilities.
0: <laughs> what could go wrong? Nothing at all, right? It's perfect. <laughs> what a bitch. Do you know how powerful <laughs> minor illusion is, you guys? Yep. You can take an opening and make it not there. Just not there. Um, That's a cantrip.
2: I, I'm gonna curl into a ball and make it I'm the crate.
0: <laughs> yeah, and under a crate in a rock, you can really get the, the the surprise on the enemy. But I love that this is lies within lies, right? Yep. There's so much confusion here, and I think that that is going to make for a hell of a surprise at the end. So, you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> that hurts
1: my head. <laughs> Okay, uh, Brandon, would you like to tell us about our magic item of the podcast? The magic item of this podcast is the potion of mind control. Mm. Uh, the rarity varies. When you drink a potion of mind control, you can cast a dominate spell. Uh, spell save DC, or, yeah, the save DC is fourteen uh, on a specific creature. If you do so within one minute of drinking it, if you don't, the potion is wasted. All you had is a blueberry tasty treat. <laughs> A potion of mind mind control produces the effect of a dominate beast, a dominate person, humanoid, or a dominate monster spell. Uh, I see the table below, which is right there on the card, which you guys can see. If the target's initial saving throw fails, the effect lasts for 1d4 hours with no concentration required by you. The charmed creature has disadvantage on new saving throws to break the effect during this time. Damn! I love this. Can we have more of these? Wait, what determines uh what kind of potion is? is that? A uh, DM's discretion. Yeah. Ah, okay.
0: random roll if you want. I mean, it's just like all the other potions, they've got kind of a, a, a range. So, this is a really fun magic item. I love mind control, I love manipulating my player characters, I mean, um, the monsters love manipulating their their enemies. Um, <laughs> I like stuff like this because it's temporary and you can give it out, and if it turns out that you thought it was too powerful or, 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 or whatever, you just don't give out more. Um, I like versatility and I think that these things can be used great, to great effect by, um, Manip- uh, sneaking in and, you know, spiking a drink or something like that. Yep. You know, so.
2: I mean, mind control is definitely a very potent ability. Yeah. Ooh, pour that into like the trough for for, for a circus or, or a farmer.
0: Nice. <laughs> I'd like to see a pig with mind control. <laughs> like farmers go flying, <laughs> jumping off a building. <laughs> How do you like it? <laughs> or have them just running through a, a chop shop. Oh, oh I love it. Alright, uh, Ian, would you like to tell us about our Dungeon Master tip today? Our Dungeon Master constant tip
2: is actually more of a tip of what not to do. <laughs> Failure to be consistent. Yes. Changing a similar ruling session to session makes it difficult for the players to make decisions when you, as a DM, expect how they expect a certain mechanic or concept to be used in a certain way. Nope. And if you keep changing it, well... How are they gonna know?
1: Yeah.
2: Or just... been been multiple times where I've definitely, okay, I've definitely seen some DMs go when a player's like, "I do this." DM's like, "No, you can't." Player, "Yes, I can. This is part of my class ability."
0: Oh, that's I'm, that's different, right? But I have seen people like, I don't like how that works. So that's not what happens. That's bullshit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> don't do that shit. Yep. <laughs> I'm guilty of making a calling and then forgetting. That's how I forgetting. That's how I ruled it. Um, and so, uh, failing to be consistent is definitely one of my yep. failures sometimes. Don't, you don't need to agree so hard, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I try to be as fair to the players as I can. Yep. Um, that's part of being a good DM. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah,
1: I can't remember a time I actually strayed away from that.
0: Being consistent?
1: Yeah. Did I? Have I? When I I don't know. I
0: haven't played a game with you in years. I don't remember. year and a half.
1: Two. Something like that.
0: Two. That's yours. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't don't be be a a dick! dick. I know you've been waiting for that. (laughs) (laughs) You can avoid dickitude by using the Guardian Aura of Wrath. I feel like this is counterproductive because now that we're giving like uh, power gaming uh, tips... You really are being a bit of a dick. (laughs) Are you? Uh, I remember the DM can do it to you too. So, Mm -hmm. the spirit guardian spout allows the caster to summon powerful spirits around themselves within 15 feet or up to 10 minutes. The spirits pretty much attack anything. But you can designate a number of creatures, such as your party, to be unaffected by this, right? Yep. So, dealing 3d8 per turn to any creature in the area that fails its wisdom save is basically turns you into a walking holy slash necrotic meat grinder and does it also reduce your movement speed it it does i think so Mm. oh i didn't know that doesn't matter um now what you need to do is what are you going to do about those pesky creatures that want to attack and disrupt your concentration oh (laughs) i know you guys let's cast sanctuary on ourselves and ward off attackers for up to one minute (laughs) now if a creature wants to attack us not only do they got to walk into the deadly aura, but now they got to make a wisdom saving throw first. Yep. And if you are looking to truly just wade into melee crowd of enemies uh, with your high armor class and servant meat grinder, you can now top it off with enemies taking the do- take- by taking the dodge action on your turn. Now enemies will be turned into mincemeat as you get close to them, and should they want to attack you, they now have to pass a wisdom save and have to succeed in attack on disadvantage. Happy slaughtering, and praise be to the divine.
1: <laughs> yep. Movement speed by enemies have inside the aura. What the fuck have you been watching?
0: Uh, actually, uh, <laughs> I, I highly have to recommend, if you haven't followed uh, my boy d d Shorts... You need to. The guy's effing genius when it comes to player character optimization. Follow him. Go. Do it. TikTok. YouTube. The guy's a genius. Um, but yeah, so this is this is terrifying as a dungeon master, and I will in fact be building a meat grinding cleric for my party to go up against, so I'm super excited for that. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about this? It's
2: Using the digestion works pretty good it, too, and... So that's kissing the Blur spell, which is the same thing. Yeah, it casts a spell slot, but, but for some strange reason,
0: Blur's not concentration.
2: I don't know why, but it isn't. Yeah. Because that, cause that at least also frees up your action to do other things, too.
0: Just- that's true. I can see that. If you take the Blur or the... Uh, there was another one. What was it? Uh, if you can manage some multi-class and get the... Uh, what is the stupid... Um, three Illusions. Oh, I don't- uh, uh, Mirror Images. That doesn't take concentration either. So if you can manage to arcane class tap or get that through a spell feat or something, that'll yeah. even be better. But currently, as this is written, you are a um, enemy tenderizer. So yeah. mincemeat. Yeah. How would you like to run into something like that as the DM? Your player just wades through, and all the minions are just.
2: I, I'd be like, "F you!" My spellcaster cast fireball. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thing what what, what, no, what no, environmental no. Nope. things can I do to break concentration? Yeah.
0: Anything okay. that does damage. Because okay. there would be no save because
2: it's an area effect. It's an area effect, you're right. <laughs>
1: you're well, it's a deck save, but hey. <laughs> I, I imagine that the players are walking through with this going on. They're not going to be worried about looking for traps.
0: Oh. No, they're not. <laughs> That's so when you... Uh...
1: There's a way to cut it short, but...
0: Don't do that shit too much
1: though.
2: Yeah.
0: If you start building (laughs) encounters to go against players, they're going to hate your effing guts. So, uh, I think that'll do it for our show today. You guys. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, before we close out today, we want to thank everyone, uh, that has joined us. Uh, if you're following us on YouTube, make sure to hit that subscribe button, check out our one minute, uh, uh, DM tips, uh, super quick, fall in love with them. They're great. Um, today, uh, as always, we like to give away every uh, episode, we like to give away some fat loot. Today we are giving away our War Chanter. If you don't know, the warchanter is a bard subclass that we designed some time ago that basically allows them to wield halberds and pikes as a banner and do powerful chants that buff and enhance the, the, the players and debuff the enemies. Uh, it goes beyond just using Bless and Bane and takes it up to a whole new level. Um, so we're really excited. If that's something that sounds interesting that you want to check out, head on over to CritAcademy.com, pick it up. It's like 2 bucks, cheaper than a cup of coffee, and a lot of fun, I promise. Brandon, who's our winner
1: today? Our winner is CBT, Doncaster. <laughs> didn't win? No problem. <laughs> www.creditcardme.com and subscribe for your chance
0: to win. If you didn't know, if you subscribe to our newsletter on our website, we give you a free copy of our gold bestseller, Challenge Accepted: Five Skill Challenges for Your Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons Game. If you ever wanted to just have encounters ready to go, to mold and shape to fit your uh, your game that use the variety of skills that are in the game then consider checking out. It's a five-star product that everyone loves. I know because that's what they keep telling me. (laughs) With that, please join us on our next episode. I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but we're going to talk professional dungeon mastering. Uh, So let's let the hate flow. Push the algorithm and our stuff to the top of the Google search list. Go! Go. Oh, do it. Do it now. Oh, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to have a special guest on from StartPlaying.Games. Professional DM. Are you talking about DMs that get paid? Yes. Yeah. Oh. It's very, um, it's a very a controversial. It. Yes. So I'm excited to be pushed to the top of the algorithms by people that think, oh, that's stupid. I can play for free. Not everyone can do that. All right. Uh, with that, we'll close out our show today. If you enjoyed the show, you would like to support us, pick up our War Channer, maybe pick up our Meneral Monsters, or just subscribe to our show or our newsletter at CritAcademy.com or on YouTube, leave us a review, all that jazz. I'm your host, Justin.
1: I'm your co-host, Dan. I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening.
0: Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes.
1: Muffin, when you do this, you know Me, me, got a dick in my mouth? <laughs> I
0: don't, I, god I have a comment I want to say, but yeah, I'm, just I'm shut, be shut, good. shut
1: the fuck up. I'm gonna be good. <laughs>